2: It's been a wild ride. And now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The big take
3: from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world.
2: We cover the stories behind what's moving money
4: and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin,
3: And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWretention.com, that's NWretention.com. Use the promo code JESSE, get you 10% off. A gigantic safety warning from me to you. A coronavirus relief bill. And finally, the greatest game of all time and the greatest competitor of all time, All that's coming up right now on I'm Right. Okay, it's time to have a little chat, you and me. Right, you've had a whole weekend, and I'm sure now it's Monday, you've been waiting all day, watch, watching the TV, just waiting for me to come on and bless you with some wisdom. So allow me to give you some wisdom right out of the gates here. We just had somebody die in Austin, Texas. Not going to say the guy's name. I'm not even necessarily going to focus on that individual case because I don't believe in trampling on the dead. It's just not something I do. Certainly not the freshly dead. We wait for that to pass for a while while everyone's done mourning. But the situation was simply this. We got this left-wing protester, Antifa dude, decides to get himself an AK-47 and He's going to start protesting a little more forcefully, if you will. He approaches a vehicle with other protesters. From there, the details get hazy, and it's still all one big legal question, so I'm not going into that. But long story short, the man with the AK-47 who approached the other vehicle is no longer with us. He's dead now. Here's what's happening in the United States of America, and it's going the wrong way quickly. This is what's happening. You see, we have this C of little left-wing commies out there, all these little leftist wannabes, only they don't have the same backstory of other commie scumbags like Che. You know, they all love to wear their Che shirts, you know what I'm talking about, or their little Castro shirts or something like that. They all want to feel like they're some revolutionary with with a guitar somewhere, singing songs about the working man as they take it to the man. But guys like Che, as big of a scumbag as he was was a fighter, he grew up and learned how to fight. What we have in this country is a bunch of pretenders. We have a bunch of people that were raised on college campuses to learn how to be good little Marxists and street activists and get out there and disrupt things and disrupt traffic and push people around. But here's the issue. They don't have any real practice against people who know how to handle themselves yet. And I don't want them to ever get that real practice. I want us to all get along and be polite. You see these college-based, college-educated, little Che wannabe kids, they go into these cities where everybody's unarmed and they push people around. They'll gang up on somebody, 30 on one, something like that, throw water bottles at them, spit on them, hit them. You've seen, you've seen all the violence all over the news. And then they go back. Or, or they get tear gassed by the cops once or twice. And it's not, it's not a bad thing for them. It's a badge of honor. They go at their little body odor smelling parties afterwards. Hey, hey, guess what, Charlie? I got tear gassed today. Aren't we cool now? And it's one big game. It's one big fun, commie game. And they feel like they're these little revolutionaries doing a great thing. But it's only a game until it's not a game anymore. You see, you play revolutionary for long enough, eventually you're going to get in your mind that you are one, but you're not one. And if you want to be one, then you got to be ready for everything that comes with that. I don't care who you are, left wing, right wing, commie, what you believe. In the United States of America, do not brandish a weapon at somebody in a vehicle unless you want to die. Now, I don't know that there's going to be somebody armed in that vehicle going to defend themselves, but that's the point. You don't either. Just leave people alone. You want to have your little peaceful protest or something on the corner, wave your dumb signs around? That's fine. But you start taking it from that to approaching a vehicle with who knows how many people inside and an AK-47 in your hands and point it that direction? Brother, that's a threat of deadly force against somebody. You don't know how that's going to turn out. And as we saw in Austin, oftentimes that doesn't turn out well for you. So just stop. This is my public service announcement to the commies and everyone else. Stop. Because you can pretend all day long, have your little weekend fun, do your protests, your counter-protests, whatever you do. You start rocking weapons like that, pointing weapons like that at people, you're not playing anymore. And you're going to do that to the wrong person, and that's going to be the last day you're alive, ever. There are a lot of Americans out there, and I know a lot of them, that would never, ever, ever take even that much of a chance of you harming them or, one, or, or a member of their family in their vehicle. Stay away from vehicles. Stay off the roads. You're not on your college idiot campus anymore where you get to bully anybody. You get out on the highway. You get out on the roads. You surround people, make them fear for their lives or fear for the lives of their families. Jack, you get what you get. Don't throw a fit. Now, Portland is an interesting situation right now. I know you've seen all the civil unrest in Portland. We've talked about Portland a ton on the show and I find it to be really fascinating. Just to give you a little background on what's happening in Portland and what's happened. Antifa, this anarchist, commie, violent street thug group, they have thrived in Portland for a long time for two different reasons. One, the Northeast, uh, Northeast, I went to community college. The Northwest, it's really a hub for all this. The Northwest, for some reason, Seattle, Portland, just that general area, seems to be left-wing politics 101. I don't know, maybe that comes from San Francisco, who knows? So they've actually allowed Antifa to do their thing for a long time. A long time they've been letting them do their thing. So Antifa really has a strong foothold there. Friends of mine like Andy No, who's been going after Antifa for a while, will tell you all day long, Portland is practically Antifa's capital. So they were already established there. Okay, we got that? Now we have all the coronavirus stuff and the George Floyd protest stuff. And these people, this is what they do for a living. And it's important that you and I understand this because it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. I mean, you have a job, right? You have a job. Or if you're a lady, you stay at home, cooking, cleaning, taking care of the house. I mean, if you don't have a job, these people don't. That is their job, this is their occupation. Even if you're somebody who goes to tea parties or goes to a D.C. rally or something like that, understand this is their op- o- occupation. They are professional protesters, and Antifa is a violent group. So what's happened here? Why do you think they've been ramping up all over the country? I'm about to tell you why. Money. We already have them caught in places like Idaho, Idaho where they caught them in Mercedes vans, a fleet of Mercedes vans, bussing Antifa people into an Idaho town. By the grace of God, again, you don't play that in rural America. I believe it was their sheriff stopped them before they got to town, told them turn around and leave, and they did. Do you think some purple haired freak like most of these Antifa guys has the money to rent a fleet of Mercedes vans or even buy one? No this is done on purpose. This is done, and I don't know who, I'm not going to pretend to know who, who, I hear the same names you hear, but this is all done right now on purpose. It has nothing to do with George Floyd or anything else. They know in a city like Portland, they can go have all the protests all day long, burn it down, kill people, hurt people, and not much is going to be done. So what's the trump administration to do about that what should you do about that what can he do about that you know you can't just send federal troops anywhere you can certainly send federal agents to guard federal buildings or can you send them anywhere what is right and what is wrong because rest assured federal troops in portland where they are now and that's why you see these clashes every night that ends in violence Hopefully nobody dies, but that ends in violence because you're prompting these clashes. You're guaranteeing it. Uh, I'm obviously rooting for the agents, not Antifa, but this does get ugly. So doesn't whoever's paying Antifa bear the responsibility for this? But the press loves it because the press thinks they have Trump on his heels. Every single time an agent has to bash in one of these Antifa guys, Trump's going to get asked about it. Here's Wolf.
4: They are arriving every night using city streets and city parks. They're coming armed with rocks, bottles, baseball bats, power tools, commercial grade fireworks, uh, eliciting that violence and and targeting their violence on federal courthouse and federal law enforcement officers. That's very different than what's going on in Chicago, places like Chicago, Albuquerque, uh, Kansas City. That is where you see normal criminal activity, street crime, what we say, regarding gangs and, and drug dealers and again, President Trump and the administration, led by the Department of Justice, is targeting that type of crime. Understand what is at play in Portland. Understand what the department is doing, what the president is doing, what the administration is doing. And as that is, we are standing up for law and order. Uh, and anyone who says uh, otherwise is not being accurate. And I will say that the other, uh, the other side that wants to criticize law enforcement, uh, what they don't do, they do not condemn these acts of violence in Portland. I have talked with a number of Democratic members of Congress And all but one, only one, have asked me about the health of my officers. All they want to do is condemn law enforcement for doing their job. And again, very irresponsible.
5: It brings up an excellent point there. That's why I wanted you to hear that. Okay, so we know the situation. We have this violent, professional group of protesters and rioters in Portland and other cities across the country. What have you seen from the Democrat Party? what have you seen from the American media? They're approving of this. Have you heard one Democrat from Joe Biden, Pelosi on down? Have you heard one speak out against the rampant leftist violence that has torn apart America for the past two months? You haven't. I know I've been watching. And you know what the headlines read? Time after time after time. I look at these headlines. You know what they say? peaceful protests disrupted by violence at the end. Peaceful protests, mostly peaceful protests. I was peaceful, it was mostly peaceful. Do we really have such a large portion of our country openly rooting against it? It sure seems like it. And you got Chicago where another 50 people were shot this weekend, 50 people. And this is what their mayor has to say.
6: I've drawn a very hard line, will not allow federal troops in our city. We will not tolerate unnamed agents taking people off the street, violating their rights, um, and holding them in custody. That's not happening here in Chicago. So I've drawn a very, very bright line. I've made that very clear to every federal authority um, that I've spoken with, and they understand that if they cross that line, we will not hesitate to use every tool at our disposal to stop troops Uh, and unwanted agents in our city. Well, I've said it before and I'll say it again. No troops, no agents that are coming in outside of our um, knowledge, notification, and control that are violating people's constitutional rights. That's That's the framework. We can't just allow anyone to come into Chicago, play police, in our streets in our neighborhoods when they don't know the first thing about our city that's a recipe for disaster and that's what you're seeing playing out in portland on a nightly basis we don't need that here that is not a value add and it doesn't help enhance our public safety
5: why isn't that mayor begging for federal help you know why because she doesn't care if people in chicago die that's why All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I am right. Now, contrary to everything you see on the news, criminals out there don't only exist in the streets. They're not only in these crazy cities. They're not only in those bad neighborhoods. Criminals today, you're going to have to start wrapping your mind around this. I do too. They're online. They're cyber criminals. They're out there prowling for ways to deprive you of your hard-earned money. And the new thing they have now is home title theft. You see, your home title is not just a piece of paper in the bank anymore. Your home title is digital. These guys can get it easily, get your signature on it easily, take a loan out against it, and you have to pay it back. Your home insurance doesn't cover it. People are getting evicted from their homes as we speak because of home title theft. Protect yourself. Go to HometitleLock.com. That's HometitleLock.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get yourself 30 free days. We'll be back. Okay, well, um, apparently we're going to do this stimulus bill thing again. And you've already heard me rant and rave about it all week last week, so I'm going to try to stay calm about it now. I'm going to try to be just really straightforward about it now, but one of the things I'm blown away by, blown away by, is the last one didn't work. Are we going to pretend like it worked? We're, we're going to pretend like the last one worked the same way Obama used to pretend all his absurd spending bills worked. Oh, we saved your created jobs. Wait, what does that even mean? That sounds like you're setting yourself up to just say you did a good job no matter what. Um, we still have horrendous unemployment around the United States of America. Small businesses are closing in droves permanently across America. What worked? Which part of it worked? I'm I'm very curious. I I want somebody to tell me which part of it worked because you know what else we did? This, This was genius. We added federal unemployment benefits. You know, just handing out that government cheddar And now we pay people more to stay home than they were making at their job? And don't tell me it doesn't happen because I know several employers, not to brag or anything like that, I know several employers around here, they can't get people to come back to work until their unemployment runs out because they're making more money now, staying at home. And we're gonna do that again? America doesn't need a second stimulus bill. America needs to get the government off its neck so we can go back to work. Coronavirus, Black Plague, nuclear war, I don't care what it is. We cannot continue to tie a huge millstone around the neck of this economy and just limp along. It's going to finish us, finish us. On top of that, what do you think's going to be in this trillion-dollar bill? Oh, oh, I I should mention now, a trillion is conservative. A trillion is the starting mark. I guarantee you, write this down. They don't call me the oracle for nothing, even though I gave myself the nickname. I guarantee you this thing is going to be bigger than a trillion dollars, significantly bigger. And while we're on the subject, I brought up Obama's stimulus bills. Do you remember what we did when Barack Obama was passing six, seven, eight hundred billion with a B billion dollar? stimulus bills well we had a bunch of tea parties i don't know if you remember but i remember because i was there and i saw the signs and they spending us into bankruptcy and this is a disaster and you can't spend money like this What? <laughs> i i missed the days of only passing 800 billion dollar stimulus bills we've blown those numbers out of the water and for what for who and we're going to do the same thing we did last time after they passed that last idiotic bill where they throw out a bunch of money to a bunch of people. Because it's government, they screw it all up. There's absolutely no rhyme or reason to it at all. Half of it is very clearly just government kickbacks for political donors. The other half is just like some idiot just closing his eyes and throwing darts. And then we get a rehash after the fact. That's what we got last time. Oh, I can't believe this company got, got $10 billion. They should give it back. Well, why should they give it back, idiot? Why did you give it to them to begin with is a better question. Ah, oh, well, what we're going to do is we're going to tell the, bank, the banks they can loan this money. Well, who do you think gets to the front of the line for those bank loans? The mom and pop shop who can barely make payroll every month? Or the gigantic company with just massive amounts of cash flowing through that bank? All this does... Is help the people who don't need help and screw the people more? Who've been mostly screwed during this whole thing? I can't believe we're doing it. I can't believe we're doing it. But you know what? That's on me. I should be. I should believe we're doing it because that's vintage government. And it's going to be Republicans and Democrats. Speaking of Republicans, here's Mnuchin. The administration and the Senate Republicans are completely on the same page. Mark Meadows and I
3: were up yesterday just working on technical issues in the drafts. We had previously agreed on all these issues earlier in the week. We want to move forward quickly. Uh, the, The bill will be introduced Monday. And we're prepared to act quickly. This is all about kids and jobs. This is our focus. And we want to make sure something gets passed quickly so that we deal with the unemployment and all the other issues, paycheck protection plan,
5: tax credits to rehire people, and money for schools. Mm. Let me give you a helpful tip, and this is going to apply now, it's going to apply tomorrow, it's going to apply 30 years from now when you look at politics from Washington, D.C. Whenever you hear a politician in either party talk about for the kids and having to do something quickly Well, you better start looking over your shoulder because you're about to get screwed. Okay, I'm going to let it go for now. I'm not going to dwell on it, but I'll tell you what I am going to dwell on. Your online information is absurdly, absurdly not secure. I mean at all. Do you know the amount of information that's out there on you? I'm not just talking about, you know, you killed somebody once in high school or something like that. I mean, I hope you didn't, but I'm not talking about just past crimes. I'm talking about addresses. I'm talking about credit card hacks. I'm talking about your personal information. Do you know why so much of it's out there? Because you go online. It's all online. And these people were always snatching up your information. All these major companies online, what do you think they do to make money? They snatch up your information. It's all data mining now. Do you have any idea how much information is out there on you? Believe me when I tell you, I looked it up and I, um, yeah, jaw-dropping. Now, granted, I didn't look it up on myself. Who knows what's out there about me? But that is a problem, right? Go find out. Go find out what's out there about you. Go to truthnow.com. That's truthnow.com. Put in your name. Put in your neighbor's name. Put in your babysitter's name. Put in that high school baseball coach. Put in some names. Truthnow.com. Find out what you find out. We'll be back. Joining me now, Brandon Weikert. He's an author of Winning Space and the contributing editor to American Greatness. Brandon, first of all, Winning Space. Now, I will admit to you, first and foremost, I'm not a huge space guy. I'm one of the only people in America who doesn't care about NASA that much or exploring Mars or anything like that. However, I do realize it is critical to national security. Explain why. Well, it's
3: the ultimate strategic high ground. Whoever dominates that area uh, will have control over the Earth, the other terrestrial domains, land, sea, air, and even cyberspace.
5: What can people do? Now, I'm not talking about you know Star Wars stuff, but what can people do? What can nations do right now, weapons-wise, from space? All we know is what we've seen in the movies. Can they can they shoot lasers and vaporize cities? Can they cause earth, earthquakes? In all seriousness, can they can they hit any city with a nuclear weapon? What can they do?
3: Well, uh, lasers are one of the developing technologies, but it wouldn't be to vaporize cities. It would be to launch a laser at a rival satellite to make them uh, to make them uh, uh, unable to communicate with their forces on Earth and to coordinate an attack. Uh, anti-satellite weapons, such as launching a missile from the bottom of a fighter craft and having it go into space and knock out a satellite, is a pretty old, but uh, tried and true way of being able to knock out satellites. Uh, Launching it also from a destroyer in the ocean, we can do that as well. Uh, And also co-orbital satellites, I call them space stalkers. And basically they're these tiny little satellites with grappling claws that can tailgate our uh, sensitive equipment in orbit, latch on and push them out of orbit like something from an old 1970s roger moore era james bond film uh but this is stuff that is being developed and that actually in some cases has already been launched uh into space by either us or more dangerously the
5: russians and chinese okay who's winning
3: Uh, I would say that uh, we are neck and neck right now with the Chinese. I think the Chinese have a little bit more get up and go right now. Uh, We seem to be coming from behind, not unlike the first space race in which we were losing to the Soviets until we managed to make it to the moon.
5: Okay, why are they neck and neck with us? I mean, we like to think of American might. America has a better economy. Is it just simply a focus thing? They are all about it and we're kind of half in? Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's a focus thing. It's
3: Well, just like you said, most people don't care because they can't see space. It's sort of esoteric. But uh, I hate to paraphrase Trotsky here, but uh, you may not be interested in space, but space is very interested in you. (laughs)
5: <laughs> you know what? Trotsky actually had some great lines until he had an ice pick shoved into his head, but that's, that's another story right. entirely. That's another story entirely. All right, so we do have this Space Force. Everybody's had a good time with it. we got a new Space Force, this Space Force, that. What is our Space yeah. Force actually going to do? What is the purpose of it?
3: Well, first and foremost, it's going to be to protect our satellites. We, we have to have satellite access Otherwise, we don't have really anything. We don't have Facebook. We don't have uh, economic you know, transactions. We don't have the ability to deploy and maintain forces overseas. Uh, so we, we absolutely have to have access to space in order for that beyond that. Uh, there's going to be an increase in private sector investment into uh, not just the satellite area but also space mining and we're going to need to be able to defend those interests I'm sure you may have seen uh, things like the Brad Pitt movie from two years ago at Astra there's an entire sequence in that film about rival countries competing and fighting on the moon for access to space mining areas well that's actually based And what we think will eventually happen is we'll be competing for access uh, to these very rich natural resource areas on the moon and throughout the solar system. So we're going to need Space Force long term to protect that and to basically make sure we're not squeezed out of space.
5: Brendan, what natural resources does the moon have?
3: Well, we've got things like rare earth minerals in abundance, and those are things that absolutely are required to build your laptop, your cell phone. Pretty much any advanced piece of technology needs these rare earth minerals. Now, they're called rare earths because not because they're not in abundance, but because on earth you have to dig very deep and it's very costly to get to them. Uh, But on the moon, it's pretty much on the surface. And if you can just get up there, mine it, and figure out a way to get it back to earth cheaply and safely you've got yourself quite a uh, bonanza, if you will. There's also uh, other natural resources like potential helium-3, which could be used to uh, power nuclear fusion reactors. Uh, Right now, we rely on deuterium-tritium reactions, which are very expensive, and they have a lot of radiation. They're not as efficient. It's believed that helium-3 could potentially allow someone to power a city the size of Manhattan or Shanghai, Uh, cleanly, sustainably for two to five years without really needing to
5: do much changes. Okay, so are you actually telling me there's a chance we could get to the moon to get materials cheaper than we can drill really deeply? We'd have to make the initial upfront investment,
3: which is what's going on right now. This is part of the debate. But I argue in my book, if we don't do it, the Chinese already are. And you see, the Chinese don't care if they live in the red, uh, in, not just ideologically, but in terms of economically, if they think that there is a chance for a larger payoff in the future. Obviously, under current situation, our private sector can't do that, which is why in the book I argue for uh, we have to have basically uh, public-private co-op, NASA with SpaceX, for instance, Space Force with you know Blue Origin or SpaceX. Uh, we really have to start pairing our innovative startup uh, tech culture with both the government in terms of NASA as well as uh, Space Force to stay competitive.
5: I, I'm about to ask you the dumbest question you've ever been asked ever, Brandon. So please, once you're done laughing, just answer yeah. the question, <laughs> who okay. owns the moon or territories on the moon is it the world's is it whoever just happens to land wherever i'm genuinely curious who has a claim to it so technically under space law
3: which is an actual you know field of law Uh, Technically, no one owns the moon. It is akin to Antarctica, where it's supposed to be kept open to the world. Anyone who can get there can establish a presence there for peaceful purposes, research purposes. Uh, But basically, as we've seen with the South China Sea, uh, as well as the Arctic Circle, wherever there is resources and a country has the ability to get to those resources, notably China, Uh, or Russia, they will go there and they will take what they want and you will have to try to figure out a way to stop them if you're the United States. And so what I argue is we never signed the Moon Agreement of 1970 technically, neither did China. So neither of us are bound by that, that, that international treaty. Uh, we try to respect it because we don't want other people, we don't want to have this big space race, but as I show in the book, it's already underway, so we might as well embrace it and use our capabilities to the fullest of their you know, power so that we win the second
5: space race rather than communist China or authoritarian Russia. Shoot me straight. How close are we to having the little handheld laser guns?
3: <laughs> uh, the Air Force is actually developing it. They're actually uh, working on, well, not little handheld, but uh, for the for the fighter jets, they're actually working on, and the Navy is as well. Um, I don't know. I would say probably 10 years we'll have some kind of system, but that is something that both the Navy and Air Force, and I assume eventually the Space Force as well, uh, are heavily invested in.
5: Brandon Weichert, thank you for your time, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. I want one. I want one of the laser ones. And I know what you're thinking, Jesse, Jesse, you're just going to do something irresponsible with it. Yes, I'm going to, 100%, but I want one anyway. All right, we'll be back. Joining me now, Lieutenant Colonel James Carafano, he is the Vice President for national security and foreign policy at the Heritage Foundation, which needs no introduction on this show. What that means is the guy's really freaking smart and knows about all the people trying to kill us. Colonel, let's focus on China for the time being because I feel like people really do not understand how aggressively they are already here.
0: Yeah, I don't know if they're trying to kill us, but they don't wish us well. Look, this is an easy way to explain this. The United States, other countries kind of like the United States, for all our differences, and even within the United you know, what do we believe in? I mean, fundamentally, we believe in freely elected governments. We believe in human rights. We believe in free enterprise. Chinese Communist Party, they don't believe in any of those things. Matter of fact, they see those things as a specific obstacle to the expansion of Chinese power. And and the short explanation here is, this, look, if the free world doesn't stand up for the fundamental things we believe in, the Chinese are going to find a way to undermine them and shortchange them because that's what they want. I mean, I, I think it's really just that simple.
5: Are we winning or are we losing in this? I don't even know if you want to call it a cold war with China. Where are we at in it?
0: Well, you know, I, I like the term Cold War from the perspective that this is a long-term competition, right? The Chinese don't want to have a war with us. We certainly don't want to have a war with them. Uh, but, so that, in that sense, the Cold War makes sense. But this is completely different. It's different. They're totally different than the Soviet Union. We're a different country than we are now. Other countries are different. So we need ways to compete with them that, that make sense for today, not make sense for 30, 40 years ago. If you'd asked me this okay. question four years ago, I, I would have said we were in real trouble. Because four years ago, okay. fundamentally, our strategy was unchanged for like 20 years. Which was, look, don't as China rises, you know, they'll they'll probably be okay. They'll they'll come around. They'll be vested in the system. They'll be one of us. It'll all kind of even out. That, that's not how the Chinese saw it. They saw the Chinese by us not challenging back, not pushing back against them coming after our interests as basically giving them open running to, to run over the neighborhood. It's like the cops giving the mafia space to be in the neighborhood. The mafia just move in and take over. Four years ago, we really flipped our strategy on our head and we said, look, instead of trying to accommodate China, let's challenge them specifically on where they're bumping up against our interests and our concerns and what's good for us and that's actually a better way to get to stability, by showing them where the limits are where they are. So I actually think we've, we've made progress the last four years.
5: Okay, what specifically did we do? What does that mean, giving them a little pushback?
0: Well, I mean, we could go on and on and on. Um, trade, for example, where, where the president was, was really tough on, on the Chinese, uh, pushing back on intellectual property theft, and unfair trading practices. South China Seas were, were an area of contention, where for decades, the United States' position was, we don't take sides here. You know, Everybody's got claims in the South China Seas, we get that. But China used that as, as an excuse to really club the other countries in the region and submission. We flipped that strategy on its head. Not only do we do Freedom of Navigation Acts, where we show, hey, these are really open waterways, but we've actually sided with the other countries against, against uh, China. Um, support for Taiwan, which this administration has been very consistent on. Uh, So political, military, economic, diplomatic, in each of those fields where the Chinese are stepping over the line, we've seen this administration start to push back. And and when I say this administration, I don't want to make it seem like it's just one side. I think this is bipartisan. As much as everybody in Washington would hate to admit it, everybody gets that being weak on China and letting them run rampant, not a, good, not a good idea. I think everybody is for pushing back and defending our own equities, our own rights and our own liberties.
5: You mentioned earlier that this is not like Russia because undoubtedly anybody of a certain age is gonna think this is just like Russia. This is just like the Cold War. Why isn't it like Russia? What makes this different than what we went through with the Soviet Union?
0: Well, a couple of things. The Soviet Union was largely a military power and nothing else. And it was largely self-sustaining because it had an iron grip on all of Eastern Europe. And it just essentially used resource extraction to fund the Soviet empire. And and we did almost nothing with them. We didn't engage with them politically, economically, diplomatically. China is completely different. Uh, China is a, a, a dramatic economic power. As a matter of fact, they're a stronger economic power. Arguably, than a military power, uh, we do lots of business with China. Everybody does lots of business with China. We have Chinese students here. Uh, we have uh, Chinese researchers, engineers here. We have Chinese businessmen here. So the 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 countries are much more intertwined, and that that impacts on both sides. You know, when, for example, if China wants to come after us economically, the first thing that does is damage China because we're one of their. Biggest customers, which is one of the reasons why the president could actually pressure them on a, a trade deal. So it's you need, you know, it's like when you were in, in high school, you owned an old Pinto. I don't know if they make Pintos anymore. They don't. You know, fine. But you're grown up now. You you want you want a Mercedes Benz. You know, you you don't treat that car. You don't do maintenance. You you don't the way you did when you you owned an old Junker. I mean, so it's a different world, and we need things that make sense in this world.
5: China being here. Now, I realize this may be just sensational headlines. Maybe it's a new focus of the Trump administration. Maybe it's always been there, and I wasn't paying attention. But I feel like every single day I get up and I look at the news, and I see a new professor has been arrested and or deported, students and arrested and or deported. How ingrained is China here? Obviously, they're here somewhat.
0: Well, and, you know, China's had an open field in the United States, which is quite ironic, since American companies in China face significant restrictions. American students face restrictions. American diplomats are, are highly controlled. There's enormous amount of surveillance. Americans don't have near the access in China that we've given the Chinese here. Essentially, we let the Chinese do here, the government do here, everything we let all our friends do, the British and the French and the Italians and everybody else. So one of the key elements of this administration— strategy has really been something called reciprocity, which is, you know what, forget about Cold War and everything else. Let's just say this. Why would we let you do stuff that you don't let us do? So why should we allow Chinese students here to be treated better than American students in China? And so the United States has started to crack down really on, 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 un, on um, not uncontrolled, but unwatched behaviors here. And so, for example, we've had places where in universities where we find hundreds of professors have not disclosed that they're taking money from China and doing research from from China. We have um, Chinese students which are directly connected with the Chinese military and the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese government conducting research or being students in the United States doing it in matters that impact on national security. I, I think these are the kind of practices that 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 shouldn't be tolerated because just the Chinese are taking advantage of us. It's just, just that simple.
5: Colonel one last thing here. Now what is the smart way to address the American corporations who are ingrained with our enemy? Are we comfortable even saying that? And I'm talking about things like the NBA or Hollywood or something like that. The NBA If they're that in bed with China that they won't insult China, if Hollywood has executives on speed dial with China, where China's rewriting Hollywood movie scripts with our enemy, doesn't that create a bit of a dicey situation domestically? How should we handle that? Well,
0: this is one area in which what we did during the competition with the Soviet Union is something worth remembering, which is let's not, in our effort to to push back on this, become the other guy. Become the guy that becomes authoritarian, destroys free markets, tells everybody what to do. So the free market is actually a great competitive advantage for us. Let's, let's use the market to help drive behavior. So transparency, I think, is is an important thing. Transparency on what the Chinese are doing, transparency on what these companies are doing, both in dealing with China and the conditions they're facing in China, I think that that will really impact and drive corporate behavior. Uh, I think another thing is let's ask ourselves, why are not people not doing business here? Why are people going to China to do business? What, what are the obstructions that we're making at the, the state, federal and local level? that Don't encourage people to, to do business here. The other is, let's do business with our friends. Chinese love basketball, you know what? A lot of people around the world love basketball. There's lots of places that the NBA could go and develop relationships. In countries that actually admire America and want to be more like America, that don't want to destroy America, and I, I think we focused on those kinds of things. I think customers get a vote. Uh, I think shareholders get a vote. Uh, I think uh, um, you know people that work with other companies get a vote. And if they're not telling these companies that you know, you have to act, that you should act responsibly, look, I'm not saying okay. Look, you want to have a basketball camp in China? Fine. You don't want to criticize the chinese fine but if you're dealing with a company in china that's engaged with slave labor that's that's taking people and putting them in a camp and then forcing them to do to develop products and, and mark and manufacture products not be paid and then using that to sell it at discount to americans if you're engaged in that kind of activity i mean shame on you nobody should buy your products nobody should Nobody should even, you know, watch your commercials. I mean, that's the kind of thing I think we need to focus on.
5: Thank you so much for your time tonight, Colonel. Appreciate you. Hey,
0: thanks for having me, guys.
5: Best of luck. The greatest game ever in a competitor. We're about to show you here in just a second. Hang on. I have to confess something about myself. I know you all already look up to me so much and you call me the Oracle and Shogun and all these other great nicknames that I've given myself, but I may be the greatest hide and seek player of all time. I know you're going to find that difficult to believe because I'm six foot eight and you would think I stick out like a sore thumb. I still play hide and seek with my sons dominate. Absolutely dominate. I just kick back and take a nap because they're never finding me. Ever. Plus, I know all the little nooks and crannies where they're going. So let me tell you what. As the hide-and-seek master, I know talent when I see talent. And I see talent here. (laughs) Not the person hiding in the suitcase. Talent and that young lady. You know why? I like competitive fire. I like somebody who's out there to win it. That's how you win in hide-and-seek. I'll get the ladder out, and I'll get up on the roof and the 100-degree sun just to win hide-and-seek with my sons. You know why? We don't play for second place in my house. See you tomorrow.
3: Now there's a barmaid there, good-looking young lady. She's serving me a drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually my drink was give me a Kettle One Martini, three olives, a glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam! I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon,